0: Thank you, John. Um, If you have a Bible, one of the church Bibles that you should have received when you came in, can you open it to page 1175 to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at chapter three of Ephesians, verses fourteen through to twenty-one. Uh, just before we dive in, let me set you up with a bit of context. Always helpful when coming to a letter like Ephesians to understand the context and and who this letter was originally written to. This was a letter written by the apostle Paul to the church in the city of Ephesus, and the city of Ephesus was dominated by two great superpowers: the Roman Empire and the cult worship of the Greek goddess Artemis. In fact, in the center of Ephesus was the temple of Artemis, this magnificent structure that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So in this great city that's a, a hub for pagan worship, you had this small church, made up of people who had come out of a background of Artemis worship, and in Acts chapter 18, we're told what this church was like. They were people who were involved in all sorts of spiritual and occult practices. And you can imagine how this church would have felt. They would have felt small. They would have felt weak. They would have felt like outsiders, like like people that were just on the periphery of society. And so Paul writes this letter, to encourage this church. And what we've seen is that that the primary way that that Paul encourages these Christians, the primary way that Paul encourages the church is to show us who we really are. He wants to kind of peel away the the outward physical appearance of weakness and show us the, the great spiritual realities of who we are in Christ. And that's what we've been seeing in Ephesians. We, we saw that, that God's power is seen in his plan to bring all things together under Jesus. We saw in Ephesians chapter two how, how that works out, how God's power unites us on the kind of vertical dimension to Jesus and how it unites us on the horizontal dimension to each other. The, the real power of God is seen not in Rome or in the temple in the middle of Ephesus, but in the church of Jesus where God's plan for the universe is being carried out before their very eyes. So that's what Paul has been saying in this letter. Now, as we come to chapter 3, verse 14, Paul is going to just, he's just soaring. on on the wings of assurance and the greatness of the gospel. And he's going to pray now in light of everything that he has told the Ephesians about the church. What we're about to read in this prayer is what the Ephesian Christians and the people of this church here in St. Peter's need more than anything else in their life. We need this more than a a fix to our relationships that might be struggling. We need this more than healing from any health problems that we have. We need this more than an alleviation from any form of anxiety that we are experiencing. We need this more than a solution to our financial troubles. We need this more than anything else. This is the greatest need of this church. And it's one of the boldest prayers in the entire Bible. Let me read it to us, Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, Now, I don't know about you, but often when I I read the Apostle Paul, um, I think, wow, that sounds great, but I don't really know what what it means. I couldn't sum it up in a sentence, and I find it sometimes quite confusing. So I really want to chew on these verses like a dog with a bone, Um, but before we do, we need to pray, because we need God's help. Father, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit now tonight to help us understand and to help us comprehend the greatness of what your word is saying to us. Father, thank you that you are here and you are present with us. Help us to to see the wonders of this great prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in order to understand this prayer, we need to see what Paul's main request is. Let me put the passage up on the screen there. And I've just kind of divided that because you can see the, the, the logical flow of how this prayer works. So, so see how I've split it. He prays to the Father okay, in verse 14, and I've put this so that in bold. They're not really clear in the NIV, but they are there in the original language. So he prays to the Father so that they would be strengthened by the Spirit, verse 16, so that, verse 17, they would be rooted and established in love and able to comprehend the love of Christ, so that, verse 19, This is the main point of the prayer, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is what Paul wants. It's like a kind of chain of logic. I'm praying this so that this, so that this, and the kind of ultimate request where it's all leading is that this church would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Paul wants for the Ephesians. That's what we desperately need. Now, what on earth does that mean? here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, you'll get a little bit of Jesus in your life, and then you need to sort of keep being filled up with Jesus like like petrol in a car to, to keep your spiritual motor going. We have, according to Ephesians 1 verse 3, we have Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God does not withhold anything back from us. You come to Jesus, you get Jesus completely. Now, what Paul is asking for here is that we would become more and more aware of what we already have so that every aspect of our lives will be filled with the fullness of God. So, think of it like this it's like being married. When you are married, you are united to each other. Max and Anna are are getting married uh, this coming Saturday. When they make that that promise before God, they are united to each other in that covenant bond. They have each other completely. Nothing's withheld. But the more you grow in a marriage, the more you love that person, the more you become aware of, of who it is that you're united to. It's like you get more of them even though you've already always had them. And so having the fullness of God is is having every single area of your life influenced by Jesus. Every crevice of your thought taken up with Jesus, every desire, every ambition, every motivation is driven by God because he is the fullness to you. The full measure of God is seen when Those great truths that we've been seeing in Ephesians, um, as we've looked through this letter, the great truths of Ephesians 1 through 3 are driven deep into your soul, where you know them not just like intellectually, but you know them experientially. But it's more than that. It's not just about what we know. It's not just about what we experience. It's about how we live. This, this is why this prayer here is so important to the structure of this letter. It's like a hinge between the two sections of Ephesians. You see, chapters 1 through 3 are about who we are in Christ. And chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians are about how we live in light of who we are. And so having the fullness of God in our lives affects how we live. It it means being kind and compassionate, forgiving. It means being a good husband, a good wife, an obedient child. It means um, not gossiping or slandering, not getting drunk. Those are all the things that we see in Ephesians 4 through 6. Having the fullness of God is just being a more complete person. It's being more like Christ that is what we need. That is what we desperately need. So, question, how do we get it? Well, three points, as usual. How do we experience the fullness of God? Firstly, we've got to see that this begins with a prayer to the Father. It's a prayer to the Father. Verse 14, look at how he begins. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. For this reason. Now, what reason's Paul talking about? Well, look at chapter three, verse one. It's what he was about to pray in chapter three and then he had that little interjection that we looked at last Sunday night. It's in light of everything that he has been saying in the first two chapters of this letter. So because you've been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing, because you've been redeemed, because you've been adopted, because you've been united to Jesus, united to each other as this new humanity of God, because of all these great truths, I am driven on my knees in prayer to God the Father. This great God the great king of the universe and the one that Paul calls father. That's why Paul and we today can approach this God in prayer because he's not some lofty faraway being, he is our father. Do you see how Paul says there that every family on heaven and earth derives its name from him? So this whole idea of fatherhood comes from God himself, that the relationship between a parent and a child wasn't something that God looked at and thought, hey, you know, that's a really good relationship that I could use to describe how I feel about my people. That relationship, the whole idea of family, was created by God so that we could understand his love. His approachability. You see, the goal of us being saved by Jesus was not just to have sins forgiven, but as Ephesians 1 verse 5 tells us, it was to be adopted into God's family. Jesus' salvation was not just a movement out of condemnation into forgiveness, but a movement out of bondage, darkness, and despair into the joyful, safe, and secure arms of a father. That's who God is. The good, the perfect father. And if you know something of that relationship, you understand, that's why I can pray to God. Because you can go and ask your dad for anything without feeling ashamed or embarrassed. But maybe even if you're here tonight, and maybe if you don't know what that's like, or the whole idea of family is tied up with all sorts of, of difficulties. Remember that regardless of your upbringing, this is the father. This is the ultimate father. This is the father that you were made for. Don't look to earthly parents to try and understand what, what fatherhood should be like. Look to God to understand what fatherhood should look like. He is the source of perfect parental love. And with him as your father, you are in the most secure, loving relationship possible. And because we're so intimately connected to him as followers of Jesus, he can give us what we need through his resources, which is the the infinite wealth of his eternal glory. Doesn't mean that God gives you what you want if you come and ask him in prayer. A A good father won't give their children everything that they want. But they will give them everything that they need. And this father wants to give us all that we need and more. He can give us the fullness of himself. And that is the greatest, most amazing thing that he can give us. And that's what he is offering to us so freely. So if we are to have this, this fullness of God in our lives, we need to be in prayer to this great father. Prayer is the first key step. And I think this is really helpful for St. Peter's. Do you notice that Paul doesn't pray for himself? Do you notice that Paul doesn't pray, hey, I, you know, I'm just praying you guys will get out of that conflict with the, with the Artemis worships in Ephesus. I'm praying that your church will grow. He's not praying for any of these things as, as important as that would be. He's praying for them. He's not praying for himself. Guys, please, can you pray that I will get out of prison? He's praying for them. And it's such a big, bold prayer. And how often do we do that for each other? How often do we ask that the love of Jesus would be so palpably real to the people in this church? Do you know, it's good to pray for things like each other's health and jobs and families. And I hope you do that in in your, in your house groups. Let's never tire of doing that. But we need to see that those things are trivial in comparison to what Paul prays here. Do you know that God is far more concerned with you and I grasping the love of Jesus than he is with whether or not you get that job or that healing? That has to be our priority for each other. We're asking for something amazing here. Something we cannot get ourselves. That's why this is a prayer. We, you can't have the fullness of God in your life without asking God. And you won't understand the love that's been shown to you unless you're on your knees to the Father praying, not just for yourself, but for the people in this church. Please come along on Wednesday if you have the time to pray. I guarantee that you'll come and you'll probably be like, I can't be bothered. But I guarantee you'll leave feeling strengthened with the power of God's Spirit when you spend time praying with His people for each other. We have the greatest need. We all have the same need. So we know what to do. We need to pray to the Father for the fullness of God. So what do we ask in order to get that? We ask firstly for the power of the Spirit. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this power language, if you've been with us as we've been studying Ephesians, um, Paul uses this term a lot in this letter. We mustn't misunderstand what Paul means by this. Remember what, what life was like as an Ephesian. If you were to ask an Ephesian, where's the power in this city? Well, Rome, the Roman Empire, well, the uh, the temple of Artemis. That's where the power is. But Paul's been encouraging us in this letter saying, that's not real power. And we know that today. Where is the Roman Empire? Where is the cult of Artemis? That's just a, a superficial show of strength. The power of the Holy Spirit, something completely different to that outward appearance. It's not like being strengthened with some sort of spiritual spinach like like Popeye. Uh, It's it's not like those kind of TV evangelists who claim to have the power and, you know, people are falling over everywhere in the Spirit. It's not when churches try and whip you up into an emotional frenzy. It's not the, the force in Star Wars, the Holy Spirit. That's not what the power of the Spirit is like. That's more like paganism than Christianity. What is it then? The power of the Holy Spirit is the power of comprehension. It's the power to know, to understand. Look at what he says. I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp or better translation, to comprehend. Being strengthened with the the power of the Holy Spirit is knowing more and more the truths of who God is and what he has done. That doesn't mean just knowing it like you would know a maths problem. Again, think of the marriage illustration here. It's it's a good illustration to use, and I know it's a good one, um, not because I'm using it, but because Paul uses it in Ephesians 5. But think of the marriage illustration. It's a knowledge that's, that's intimate, that's experiential, that, that, that grows and that blossoms and that blooms and, and develops so that the love of God becomes something that's more real than anything else in your life. You need supernatural power for that to happen. And it happens generally internally first. Look at what he says. It's in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does he mean by that? You, I mean, they're Christians, are they not? Doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts? Well, Paul's saying... He's not saying that Christ doesn't dwell in our hearts. Rather, what he is praying is that the truth of Christ dwelling in you would become more and more and more real through the power of God's Spirit. He's saying, I pray that God's Spirit would illuminate to your hearts the reality of Christ. I pray that Christ would take up residence in every aspect of your inner being, of your heart, that he would occupy you completely so that you will live more and more in line of who he is. And you know what that will look like? It'll look like Ephesians 4 through 6. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Being kind, compassionate, forgiving, not speaking ill of others, being united together as a church, being a loving husband and a loving wife. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That may look ordinary, but let me tell you if people lived like that, it would be extraordinary. So we need to be more like Jesus to have his fullness. We need to ask God for the power of his Holy Spirit. And we do so by prayerfully reading through God's word. Ephesians 6, Paul calls the word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's what illuminates Christ in, in our hearts. That's, that's what we use to feed our knowledge and our understanding. That's how the Holy Spirit helps us comprehend. But notice something else. Look at that in Verse 18. This doesn't come individually. You may have power together with all the saints. So if you really want to get the fullness of God, you need to be communing with each other. You need to be spending time with each other, with other Christians. You know that if you've ever been to a church service. You know, just sometimes where. Where the reality of God seems more real than when you first came in. It's not that you've gained anything. Well, you've gained a bit of knowledge, hopefully. But it's not that you've gained more of Jesus. It's just you've walked away knowing more about Jesus, what you already have. When you sing together, when you study the Bible together, together with all the saints, Paul wants us to, to have the power of the Holy Spirit So if we want the fullness of God, we need to pray for each other to have the power of the Spirit, to know, and this is the last point, it's all really just one point, but I'm kind of breaking it apart, to know the love of Christ, to comprehend the love of Christ. That's the thing that the power of the Holy Spirit will impress upon your hearts. It's all connected. Verse 18. Be strengthened with power so that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. There you go. You want the fullness of God. You want to live more like Jesus and that is the chief desire of every Christian. If you want it, then what you need is power to understand how much Jesus loves you. So students who are doing this mission week, if you want to be effective in evangelism, if you want to be motivated by the gospel, the thing that you need most is not a training manual on evangelism, as helpful as some of these books can be. The thing that you need most is to know how much Jesus loves you. If you are struggling with sin, the thing that you need most is not accountability software, though that is good, but you need to know how much Jesus loves you. This is the essence of the gospel. Don't the Ephesians know Jesus loves them? Of course they do. But the magnitude of this love is so great And so immense that you can never fully grasp its beauty and wonder. Again, this is not just about simple intellectual ascent. This is about being immersed in the love of Jesus. It's about experiencing its greatness. You know, think of it like this I may know, for example, that Glencoe is a beautiful place to be. I've heard people talk about it. I may know that as a a kind of intellectual fact, I've seen the pictures but it's not until I'm standing in the valleys of Glencoe on one of those rare days of sunshine and clarity with the mountains around me and the smell of heather and the stillness of the lost that I really know. Wow, this is beautiful. And Paul's not asking us to simply know a fact He's wanting us to stand in the valley of Jesus' love, to see it in all its dimensions, to to breathe in the air of its greatness and experience its wonder on a new level. And it's so great and it's so intense that you will never tire of doing it. And the way you do that is not you divorce that from doctrine, but sound doctrine, good preaching, teaching of the word is what helps you have the power to understand that great love. In fact, as a Christian, that's what you're going to be doing for all eternity. You're going to be spending eternity understanding more and more the love of Jesus. It'll never tire because he is infinite and his love is infinite. It'll just get greater and greater and richer and deeper the more time you spend with him. So ask for God's Spirit to help you see that through his word now. Because Paul's saying, you can start to grasp this now. That's what I want for you. Ask him to, to see the many dimensions of this love. This is not some sappy, sentimental truth that we, that we tell children to make them feel good. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a profound reality and think about what that love looks like it's not sappy and sentimental it's the love of god seen through his son hanging on a cross as he bears the punishment that we deserve so that we can be reconciled and forgiven and adopted into this great family a love in which jesus says to us although you are sinful wicked people that deserve judgment i will take it for you i will suffer the wrath that you so so deserve I will step in your place though you care nothing for me and you hate me through your rebellion and wrongdoing. I will bleed. I will die. I will be hung up like a piece of meat so that you can be free from condemnation, eternally loved and accepted. Think of the many dimensions of that love. Think of the breadth of Jesus' love. There's no one excluded from this. There are no barriers of ethnicity or race or gender or or other barriers that we tend to put up to to try and divide people. Jesus tears it all down. All who come to Jesus with repentant hearts will be saved, regardless of who they are, where they're from, or what they've done. It's what we've seen in Ephesians 2, isn't it? The great breadth of the love of Jesus. Jew and Gentile brought together as one new humanity. The breadth of this love is unmatched. Think of the length of Jesus' love. There's never a time as a follower of Jesus where Jesus does not love you. His mercy is unyielding. His forgiveness is unending. His compassion is just relentless. There's no reluctance from Jesus when it comes to loving us. Make no mistake, we are all messed up, messed up sinners here tonight. If if you're new here in church, you need to know that about St. Peter's. We are not people who have it sorted. We are messed up. We really are. But God's love has been shown to us despite of who we are. Jesus has suffered any anger that we deserve, no matter what we've done. And if we repent, if we come to him, always, 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 always forgiven. That's the length of Jesus' love. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Think of the height of Jesus' love, Ephesians 2. What has Jesus done for us? He has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He has not only forgiven us, but he has exalted us. We who deserve nothing but judgment, he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. It's almost embarrassing to say it because we know we don't deserve it, but he's given it to us, lifted us up, given us the status of God's son himself so that we will live and reign with Jesus. What a height of love that is. Psalm 103 again, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Think of the depth of Jesus' love how he sunk down to the lowest pits of despair and suffering for us, how he humbled himself by God himself becoming a human, how the one who shaped stars had nails driven into his hands, how he drank the cup of God's wrath that we deserve right down to its bitterest dreg, though it tormented him. The depth of that love is unparalleled. You see, when you reflect on Jesus' love, it's not some stagnant puddle. It's this multi dimensional, ever increasing ocean of love. It's incredible. And the more you understand that love, the more He will increase in your life and the more you will de- decrease. And that's what we want. What a prayer. Look, we're done. We don't have time. I'd like to explore it more, but we don't have time. But I want to ask as we close, is Paul asking for too much? I mean, it's immense. Is this too great, really, to have the fullness of God in our lives? I mean, it's not something that will ever be fully realized until we're with Jesus, but is this too much to ask? Look at what he says. I want you to know a love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Is this prayer too bold? Well, I'll let Paul answer. Verse 20. It's a him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Nothing is too great to ask of him. He can do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to that great power of his Holy Spirit that is working within us all. Amazing that he can and he will give us this. There's only one way to end. Paul knows it. It's the only way you can end this prayer. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for that great prayer. We need this more than anything. We're struggling with sin. We struggle with life, we struggle with so many things, but the thing that we need, regardless of where we are, what's going on in our lives, the thing that we all need as followers of you is the power of your Holy Spirit to help us comprehend the love of Jesus so that we can have the fullness of God. God, we want your fullness in every crevice of our thought, in every deed that we do, in every word that we speak, we want the fullness of God. We ask it for each other. Help us to love each other and to pray for each other. In doing so, may we show the the world the wisdom of God. Show the world that great plan of everything being united under Jesus. Jesus, please help us this week to see how much you love us. Please, by your Holy Spirit, May we just comprehend all the different ways that you love us. May we never think that we've got it. But may we ever be searching and delving deeper into the treasure of this love. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.